Welcome, welcome everyone. My name is Sarah Hallett and this is the Business of Being an Artist podcast, hosted by the Meta Foundation and in partnership with ArtSource South Africa and sponsored by the Friedrich Naumann Foundation. This podcast comes off the back of a four-month workshop that we've just completed that focused on the entrepreneurial skills required to be a visual artist in South Africa. The course covered topics ranging from networking, professional documents, professional practice, budgeting and planning, through to presentation skills and critical feedback on the artist's work. Welcome back, everyone. This episode is centered around making a name for yourself as an artist. So once you've decided that you want to be an artist and you've become obsessive about making great work and you found a gallery and hosted an exhibition, now what? You need to spend some time building a name and reputation for yourself. Consistency is key here and your ability to market yourself is paramount. Of course, we want you to get to a point where somebody is helping you with this, but as an emerging artist, you need to probably learn to do this yourself. So as such, today's topic is divided up into two sections. The first is the importance of marketing, and the second is using the mechanism of competitions to help you in this endeavor. It's not to say it's the only way to do it, but it's one of the things we're talking about. And our first guest today is phoning in from Cape Town, writer, researcher, art critic, Mary Corrigal. Welcome, Mary. Hope you're well. Hi, Sarah. I am. <laughs> Hope Cape Town's treating you well. It's good. <laughs> Do you want to, uh, before we kick off, just give us a brief introduction about yourself, uh, your career, your your work that you do, your research? Sure. Well, first, I guess it's it's good to know what I studied. How did I get here? I did an undergrad in art history and English literature and always torn between art and literature. So when I went on to do postgrad degrees, I did two, one in arts history and one in English <laughs> literature. And of course, by this stage, I realized actually the two could be fused into a career, uh, which is writing about art. So actually both fields really prepared me well. And I've been recently busy with a master's in arts and culture management. So kind of Lord. shifting a bit there. I worked, I was one of the very, very few privileged people that no longer exist uh, in the sense that I worked full-time as an art critic. I was paid to write about art. I was paid to write about a lot of things by uh, the Sunday Independent, but much to their dismay, it was mostly about art. And at the same time, I also started researching um, academic research at the University of Johannesburg's Visual Identities in Art and Design Centre. And in 2016, I more or less broke away from both the journalism and the uh, university research and established a consultancy. And there really was no kind of map for what this consultancy would be because the work that I wanted to do wasn't really being done <laughs> by anyone else that I was aware of. So I've kind of been doing lots of different skills can do uh, in the, the visual arts and more broader, the creative economy. So I had to feel it out on my own and I had taken on lots of different 
sort of roles and jobs in assisting people in a consultancy sort of capacity from doing an analysis of a brand identity for an art business to assisting in uh, sponsorship proposals to uh, artist consults, which varies in terms of its objectives, depending on where the artist is in their career. I also work with collectors and help them sort of find the focus for a collection and then set them on the road to collecting around that focus, which is very rewarding work. And uh, research. I've, I've done quite a lot of research for the Department of Sports, Arts and Culture via the Cultural Observatory. And that's been looking at the visual arts, but other sectors as well, animation, gaming. So I've got quite a broad view of different sectors of the creative economy. And of course, I've produced and published lots of reports as well. A lot of different hats, I guess. Yes, Yeah. absolutely. So I guess off the back of your research, I attended a talk, online talk, that you did some time ago, I think in 2020, maybe it was definitely COVID uh, times, where you were talking about some of the critical kind of elements in an artist's career and what some of those factors, kind of how they impacted an artist's career. And specifically what I found interesting was some research you had done around the difference between emerging artists, um, mid-career artists, and established artists, and really the ones, the mid-career artists, and the seriously established artists. And I remember in your um, research, you had spoken and had found that marketing or kind of building your name seemed to be the critical factor between being a reasonably successful mid-career artist and then being somebody who's kind of internationally renowned and celebrated um, and that everyone knows about. Could you maybe talk us through some of those findings? Yes, well, I, I guess for starters, I, I had always been quite annoyed by this homogenous term emerging artists. Uh, because it sort of said nothing about a very large group of people who are all quite different and are at different stages. So uh, in that uh, publication, the South African Art Market Pricing and Patterns, I established these different categories of artists uh, that could all be termed emerging in the sense they had yet to be recognized uh, or have broad recognition either within the art market or institutionally. And that really would be down to their status and the degree to which they had been validated, uh, either through the art market or institutionally. So the first sort of critical way of of looking at an artist um, and understanding where they're placed would would be looking at the status of the gallery that represents them. So an artist, what would separate, uh, let's say, the mid-career from the, just a mid-career artist from a more sort of uh, celebrated artist 
one of those characteristics would be the status of the gallery which they're aligned to. So um, that also then involved looking at the galleries and how what sort of characteristics separated the galleries in terms of their status. And that came down to two factors. Uh, the one was the uh, degree to which that gallery had been absorbed into the global art market, uh, which is generally through participation in high status art fairs. And secondly, the status of the other artists um, that are represented by that gallery. So if there were some internationally sort of recognized or superstars, so superstar was kind of the category right at the top. Um, and there, there are not a lot of superstar artists, um, but that more or less those two characteristics would reflect uh, the status of the gallery. So that would be the first um, sort of factor that, that I would look at. Uh, then obviously the exhibition history um, and where those exhibitions have taken place. And the then of course, how those exhibitions have been received. So what level of say press coverage or writing uh, or interest uh, have there been in those exhibitions? So that that would really, it's uh, what separates a, a mid-career kind of artist or an emerging one for a more celebrated one is the degree uh, to which their profile is visible. Uh, ordinarily and traditionally that would be in the press, but as we don't uh, really up sort of the uh, clout that the, the traditional media used to carry is no longer there, that might also now um, relate to Instagram uh, and the amount of followers and interest there is in social media, but it's largely Instagram, I think, for art, um, not really the other yeah. uh, social media tools. Yeah. So that would be the profile. Then, of course, um, institutional uh, validation, uh, which would be having your work shown either in a group show uh, held at a museum or if you really are, are up there, a solo survey show, which tends to come a bit later on. But of course, there've been a lot of examples uh, of very young artists. Um, Ruby Swinney at the Zeitz Mocha comes to mind, who had a solo show in a museum type uh, setting. So having that kind of institutional validation makes quite a difference to how uh, people perceive the artist and um, who might be interested in acquiring their work. And then perhaps the last, uh, I mean, there are lots of others, but I'm, you know, just to isolate the sort of main characteristics, uh, then auction results. So that would be, a, because auction results are very visible and accessible, uh, they, they have become a way in which we measure and look at an artist's uh, status. Um, and so, of course, this becomes the place where a reputation is made uh, to some degree. You know, it obviously depends on good results. 
Um, but, you know, and often you'll have an artist that uh, Bernie Saul is an example who has just had a really nice survey show at the Norval Foundation, but actually uh, her works uh, often come up at auction and they, they don't go for huge amounts and sometimes they don't sell, which uh, so there's sometimes a discrepancy between institutional and market validation. And of course, we also know that there are artists who sell uh, pieces for high amounts of money on the auction, but whose works are of no interest to museums really and perhaps generally the art world sort of sneers at what they make. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> uh, so that kind of artist I, I refer to in the report as an uh, auction-rated artist. So that's someone who, who does well in auction. And, of course, the artist that everybody wants to be is the one who does well at auction, has museum shows, has a high profile with a high status gallery and yes. lots of solo exhibitions. So all, all the boxes <laughs> are, all are the ticked. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. I think I mean that's it's quite an interesting like walking through the list of things. Let's assume that you are in the nebulous pile of emerging artists and you know you've defined a whole kind of series of of um, success elements that you need in your career. Where would you tell an artist, like what are the first couple of goals at least that a that an emerging artist needs to meet in order to start building this name for themselves and this reputation for themselves? Well, I suppose if you look at that list, the first step probably would be uh, finding a gallery uh, that is really going to support your career. Because I think ultimately the art dealer is very motivated um, for your career to grow and your work to be widely appreciated and its value to increase over time. So finding uh, or attracting uh, the right dealer is has, I guess, been part of the traditional route. Of course, there are artists who have not um, followed that path. Uh, I think of, say, Nelson Macamo or Wanda Buchle, who, I mean, Wanda's been and Nelson sort of at different times have shown in different galleries, but they've remained fairly independent Uh but it's quite hard to, I think, to really find and market yourself. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I do your point earlier that, um, you know, it's something you've got to do yourself is, is true as well, because also the galleries and depending on that dealer, you know, if you look at a gallery and they have, they represent uh, over 10 artists I would worry about whether they had the time to market my work. So, yeah. um, and before yes. you get picked and up necessarily by a gallery, I mean, you need to have. It's it's always a kind of catch twenty two, right? The gallery is not going to take you on if you are not perceived to have a value in the market. If you don't have buyers um, already, there's yes. a, more of an incentive for a gallery to take you on if they feel like there's something there, 
a base um, already. Mm. Um, and if you are starting from nothing as an emerging artist, you have to develop a base. And you mm. are probably the only person, I mean, there may be other people in your network, but the likelihood is that you're the person who's going to be starting that base. And in this day and age, you're starting it on social media. Yeah. Well, I think that, you know, social media is is a difficult one because you can have a lot of followers, but are all those followers looking at your every post? Mm. Probably not. Um, and I think there's also recently I've picked up, a, 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 I guess, a, a, a new trend where people are shying away from the spending time on social media yes. because I think it's just reached people are just exhausted with with everything. Uh, so I think it's one tool, and it is a very powerful tool. It is a very powerful tool. But I think one has to uh, uh, be very uh, considered about how you use it, what works you show, and what you say about them. I think that mm. it isn't just an image-based um, tool. It's it's also when you're shaping how people perceive your work, you have to consider what you're saying about it. Um, you know, for example, and, and what it says about you and what you, are you just showing your art or also, are you also showing yourself, you know, drinking champagne at VIP events? Yeah. I've, I've looked, you know, there's some artists where they use it to sell their work, but they also can't help uh, sharing the <laughs> fact that they went to this, this yes. co cocktail party and the dress they were wearing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's definitely a blurring, um, uh, blur in the lines. Yes. yes. So I would, I would definitely have two separate accounts. One for sharing the parties I go to and what I've just eaten for lunch. And another one, one professional I'm, I'm, kind of facing, yeah, page with your artwork. Yes, I think there's also a line between being too visible and also just spending time creating your work. So I think you do have to find a nice balance where you're not too addicted, and. <laughs> um, <laughs> And you share, you're very considered about what you decide to share and what you say about what you're sharing. I think using it as a space to allow people to connect with your work. You know, I think that also in, in attracting a gallery, probably your most important step, because I don't think art dealers are sitting on Instagram mm. all the time either, the best way to really be noticed by everybody is really showing on group shows everywhere. So, you know, I'm sure you've been in the situation, Sarah, where every group show you've gone to, you've seen, you know, a name keep cropping up. Yes. And you start, you do, you start to become quite curious. Who yes. is this person? Um, and you start then looking out for them. And I think if you are an emerging artist and you're not represented by a gallery and you're trying to find your way in, uh, participating in as many group shows as possible, uh, sort of regardless of where they are yeah. <laughs> almost, no, yeah, yeah. is 
probably a very good idea. Just get as um, many under your belt as you can um, with different work. So trying not to send the same work around to multiple group shows. That doesn't work. Yes, you, yeah, that's you, also important. <laughs> you do want different uh, work at different exhibitions. Um, I think that's critical. I do get a lot of artists, especially emerging artists, ask me this question about the international markets. I mean, we're aware that in South Africa, the art market isn't huge. Um, and they often ask me, you know, should I be trying to do this, um, building my career outside of South Africa? What is your take on that? Well, absolutely. Everybody is, uh, from the top to the bottom, is reliant, is now looking to the international art market. I would call it the global art market. We, it, This is a, a, a global industry, the art industry. It really is. And so one has to always um, be mindful of that, especially given Instagram. Uh, there, there are a lot of artists who are making very good careers just selling art through Instagram. You know, it has really imploded some of the geographic boundaries that made uh, being seen outside of your national borders difficult. Uh, I suppose what one needs to be mindful of within that context is your pricing, because uh, if you, if you're, you're selling to people, uh, it's probably largely in the U S from what I've heard. Um but, you know, it could be other countries that uh, have a stronger currency. Uh, a very, to be taken seriously, your work has to have a, a fairly meaty value. Um, and that can be difficult if you still want to sell locally as well, because Just that too expensive, prices, yeah. You, yeah. prices you out of the market. So, um the one way that one can do that is sell the larger, more ambitious pieces internationally and sell smaller, um, you know, edition works or whatever locally. Yeah. So that's one of the things to consider. This came up through my research, really, looking at what I called um, mid-career international artists who were – um, you know, over 35, and they had been consistently showing in different exhibitions um, outside of our national borders, but they weren't showing anywhere of great importance. Don't be distracted only by the fact that it's outside of South Africa, because it could still be a small it might gallery. Be a really, a, yes, absolutely, a tiny, insignificant gallery with an you know, led often by a businessman, somebody who maybe doesn't know much about art at all. You know, mm. I mean, there's mm. so many different contexts that that could be in. So when it's out of your own market, your own local uh, market, you have to really look quite closely uh, and interrogate, you know, what that gallery is, um, where are they positioned within that uh, market itself um, before you um, decide to sort of jump in with both feet. The pricing uh, debate but... is, a, is a very interesting one, right? The international versus local, because we have, we, I, I especially saw it during COVID, lots of people stuck at home looking for art that wasn't hugely risky. Um, in other words, the price wasn't too high. Um, 
for them. And it was great because I think that's amazing for South African artists to be able to get out there. But it, what I subsequently saw is that some people then kind of hiked their prices locally um, and the local, like the local market just couldn't be sustained. And I've seen it's not just in the context of international sales, but I've seen it um, in other contexts too, where people see a relative amount of success and suddenly they jump from 20,000 rand to 100,000 rand. Um, but they've only been practicing for five yeah. years and they don't have an well, auction record they're, and they're not represented yeah. by a gallery um, and suddenly they can't sell. <laughs> well, there was quite a lot of that going on during COVID. I remember there was one artist, I won't say who, um, who was selling work. Uh, wasn't. I don't think that artist had even graduated yet and they quickly uh, employed a manager who negotiated the prices, which started to just climb based on interest. And the works were being sold straight away at ridiculous sums. And, uh, you know, I became aware of this. And, uh, of course, the moment that I could actually see one of these artworks in a show, I went off to have a look to see, you know, actually are they worth uh, what people are paying. And actually the quality of the artist painting was not great. It looked, the works looked much better on screen. Uh, there obviously was something, you know, it's not to say that artist was not talented. Uh, you know, I absolutely think that they are, but they, you know, they were kind of jumping the gun. Um, I do think that artists should take a bit more time and really perfect their technique um, before going all out and, you know, selling up a storm. Because uh, I think in the end, you're going to, you know, you attract attention, people go and have a look at your work and there's, you know, a bit of disappointment when they actually see it in person, um, particularly with online sales. But also once you maybe do get to that point where, uh, your work is technically, you know, is a bit more refined, uh, conceptually more interesting. It's very hard for you to then grow your prices because mm. actually you've already pushed it to the top level and you almost have pushed yourself out of the market in that way. Yeah. Uh, so it's... Which it's is so dangerous to... because then, I mean, you can't, the, the kind of furthest end of that and a disastrous way is that you've kind of pushed yourself too far. The market is not responding in the same way it was initially. Um, you're unable to make sales. And eventually over time, you will stop practicing because you cannot support yourself anymore through yes. the sales of your work. Equally, you can't bring your prices down. Or you can bring them down, but then everyone kind of wonders what's going on, that you are reverting um, to kind of lower pricing. So either way, it can be very yeah. damaging to jump the gun from a pricing perspective, in my view. It's it's much better to grow with your collector base and just make incremental sort of increases over time as your work gets better you know, it, it's a hard one because the art market is actually very fickle mm. um, in the sense that often there is a, kind of like a big rush to buy work of a certain kind. 
and people will fight over those works and then you know, a year later, they're done with it. Mm. Um, and everyone's now trying to flog it on the auction and realizing that actually they can't really get that much for it now. And it's, yeah, an artist's career can can really be, can implode in, the, in this <laughs> kind of way, uh, which is not good for anybody or the art market itself. I, I, you know, huge... Uh, jumps in price are really only justified um, if you have really good auction records. So if you suddenly your work goes for, you know, maybe double the high-end estimate, then you can push your prices yeah. up a little. Yeah, then there's um, demand. Because you... now you have a record. Yeah. Yeah, or, you know, if um, if the, you know, demand is one aspect uh let's say it takes you a very long time to produce works as well. Uh, so this mm. particularly pertains to textile-based artists whose work is very labor-intensive. So let's say you can only really make three works, you know, in six months. Then you're probably justified to... Um, Charge and then they sell immediately as well. Yeah. yeah then yeah. you absolutely can because the demand is there. There's substance to that. Um, and, yeah, prizes, I guess. But, you know, there are a lot of art prizes, but not all of them carry the same sort of cash day. No. So it also, if you win a prize, um, there are only a few and they're probably not local prize awards. Um, that are really going to have any impact on the value of your your work, yeah. um, and ultimately any any kind of price increase is going to come down to the degree to which your work has been received in the global art market. So it's always about that, um, and as I said, not necessarily just any art business outside of South Africa. It, it's also about, you know, where where is that business placed or where is that platform? Uh, how much status does that platform have? Thank you very much, Mary. I think there's a lot to think about. I mean, obviously, it's a small bite into, into your research. Um, I will put for everybody a link to Mary's website. You can purchase the reports. Um, I'll put it into the show notes for anyone who wants to do the real reading. It's very, very interesting um, stuff. So please go and check it out. But thank you very much, Mary. I really appreciate you taking the time to talk to us. Sure. My pleasure, Sarah. Our next guest um, has been working in the visual arts for more than 15 years and really speaks to this um, idea about the competition mechanism as a way to build your career um, and your name and your brand in the industry. So I would like to welcome uh, Dr. Paul Bayliss, who is from ABSA. And before we start, ABSA, before we start, Paul, would you mind introducing yourself, giving us a little bit of context about the ABSA Gallery and the ABSA Latelier Awards? Good day, Sarah, and thank you for the introduction and um, really a big warm welcome to the listeners. Just to really introduce myself, uh, I am ABSA's Senior Specialist Art and Museum Curator. So basically what that actually entails is um, responsibility for um, everything that is art and heritage 
across the APSA group. Um, that would include um, the APSA Gallery, the APSA Atelier Art Competition, um, which I know many of um, your listeners have previously entered and hopefully some will continue to enter, as well as the APSA Museum and linked to the APSA Museum is the APSA Archives. So, yeah, as I said, everything um, art and heritage related. Wonderful. Thank you so much. The uh, APSA Latilia is one of the most prodigious awards, I would say, in in South Africa. Um, Maybe before we start talking about the award, can you name some of the previous winners of the award? Let's just say the awards have been around for 37 years, and our first winner was Penny Theopius. So, you know, and then, of course, from there, we've had many luminaries that have come through the awards. And it's really a partnership that we've enjoyed with Sonava. And then we've also got through the awards, the Gerald Sokotra Award, which is a partnership um, that we have with the French Embassy in South Africa and the French Institute. And that's aimed more specifically at a South African artist. And many young South African artists um, have come through that. And maybe just to mention, if you think of one of the earliest artists, winners of that was Lawrence Lemuano as one of the previous winners and, and so on that have come through that award. The format of the award has changed over recent years. Can you maybe just uh, tell us what the format is currently like? So the Absolutelia started out as a, you know, 37 years ago as a South African art competition, really focused at um, providing an opportunity for young South Africans at the time to um, gain international exposure. Since then, the APSA brand has expanded across 12 countries across the continent. And with that expansion of our brand across the continent, we've also therefore been able to expand the awards at the same time, enabling young artists from each of the 12 countries to participate therein. And um, linked with that, we've then moved away from having what we call a single Absolutelia winner to every year having what we now call three ambassadors because on an annual basis, we take the 12 countries and we randomly draw them into three groups of four countries. And then the artists within that grouping of those four countries then compete against each other. And ultimately from that group, we would have a winner, which is then the ambassador. We specifically call them ambassadors, not winners, because ultimately we want these young artists that as they go through the competition and that go back and almost become ambassadors for the visual arts within their communities and become inspirational stories to other young artists. So we always say to any artist, when you win the Absolutelia, your journey with APSA and our partners starts at that stage. So for each ambassador, we provide them with a laptop, giving them access. We then offer them a two-month residency that then takes place in a country that none of them are from, but would take place in one of the 12 participating countries. So last year, we had the winner that came out, of, or this year, came out of Nigeria, Ghana, and Uganda. Those three artists will in 2024, take up a two-month residency, and that residency will not be in one of those three countries. So we take them to a different country, immerse them into the visual art scene within the country. They take up that residency together, so they do start building partnerships, networks, and start collaborating with each other. At the same time, we put them through 10 master classes that are really focused on building their careers within the visual arts around brand building, how you interact 
with galleries, build up your portfolio. Um, we take them in terms of health or wellness, both in terms of physical wellness, mental wellness, and financial wellness. We put them through various masterclasses. And these, the leaders on these masterclasses, thanks to technology, we bring the, our virtual or online and we bring the leaders in from across the globe. We then pair up each of the ambassadors with the mentor, a leading authority within the visual arts from their respective country who will then partner and work with that ambassador. Because post their two months residency, the, the ambassador will go back to their home country. And then from there, the ambassador will then work towards a solar exhibition that will then take place in their own country. And, um, and they will work with their mentor in how they craft that exhibition, the, the theme, the subject matter that they will then pull through. We will as well provide them with uh, material costs and that to cover the cost of the exhibition and so on. So by the time they've gone through this two-year journey post-winning, it's really they, their brand has been built up both within the local art sphere of the country. They've had exposure to other art scenes across the continent and they've had an opportunity to co collaborate with other artists coming from a very diverse culture and hopefully they can then take these relationships forward and go in, into the future. Amazing. It's an amazing offering. Can you give our listeners some indication of when the award opens next for applications and how artists can apply? So to any artist age 21 through to 40 may enter the competition. They have to come from one of the 12 countries where we have a presence as APSA. So one entry, portfolio of four to five artworks, submitted online as long as they have access to the internet. We ask them to document their work, submitted online, and entries will open from the 1st of April. They've got until from 1st of April to the 31st of May 2024 to enter for next year's competition. That's amazing. And to anyone listening, we will put the website details into the show notes for people who are interested in applying. And again, from anywhere on the continent, those 12 countries, those countries are listed on the site. So please, artists, this is a great opportunity for you to take up. Thank you very much, Dr. Bayless, for your time. I sincerely appreciate it. I hope you get some nice entries for this upcoming award next year. Thank you, Sarah, and big thank you to yourself and the continued work that yourselves are also doing within the visual arts. And to all the listeners, um, to the young artists out there, we look forward to receiving your awards in 2024. Thank you. Thank you so much. For more information on either the Meta Foundation or August House, you can check out the links in the show notes. We want to thank our sponsors of this program, the Friedrich Naumann Foundation and Corum Property Holdings for their ongoing support of the Meta Foundation.